0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back for the latest edition of the Arbury Road podcast with myself, Dermot Kavanagh. This week, we're going to speak about the Conference on the Future of Europe. And to speak about this with me, we have a very, very special guest. That is Gabby Bischoff, German member of the European Parliament for the Social Democrats, and as luck would have it, Vice Chair of the Working Group for the Conference on the Future of Europe. Gabby, how are you this afternoon? Thanks a million for joining me.
1: Thanks, No, it's great to be here and to talk about the future of Europe.
0: Absolutely, we have have big plans. We hope you have big plans for for the conference too. So, to kick things off, would you mind telling us a little bit about the conference, what it is, how it came to be, and what the goals are?
1: Yeah, with pleasure. Everyone remembers the last European elections, 2019. And what we experienced there was a very, very active civil society involving advertising to participate in this election um, with new initiatives, new campaigns. And in the end, we could see in the outcomes that the participation rate was much higher all over Europe and especially also in some member states like, for example, in Germany. So this activation of civil society, of citizens engaging for Europe, also stems from the fear that nationalists, anti-Europeans could take over and just could have much more support. And to use this energy in a similar way, von der Leyen, when she was candidate to become president of the commission, she took up the idea of the parliament of initiating a kind of convention, a conference on the future of Europe uh, and promised to support it if she is elected. And uh, indeed you said, uh, I'm the vice president of the AFCO committee Um, Here, we already had, in the last years, prepared quite some proposals about possible treaty changes to make Europe again capable to act. And this did lead to the initiative of the Parliament, right after the elections, not to wait until the Commission comes up with proposals, but to come up with a resolution in which we explained, as the Parliament, What we want, what we want that this conference on the future of Europe should be, where we said we really have to go into a listening mode with citizens and we really want to have debates with all parts of society, as I say, not with the usual suspects that participate in European debates, but we want the Polish plumber, the French nurse the German single mother, the Estonian engineer, coming together, randomly selected, but according to criterias, to discuss the situation of Europe and to come up with concrete proposals, what to change. And this roughly is the idea that we would have a listening phase, listening to proposals of citizens, have a political panel composed a bit Also, like the last convention also it's clear this conference is not a formal convention it's it's a discussion process uh, where we also debate proposals of citizens have feedback. To say also what what are we going to do with the proposals uh, and then, in the end, come up with a list what to change in terms of policies, but in my view also what to change regarding the existing treaties, all to make Europe more democratic and to make it capable to act in all policy areas again.
0: Okay, perfect. Um, So as almost as a bit of a fight back against the backsliding towards authoritarianism we've seen and anti-democratic actions and policies taken by some, some member states. Now, you mentioned that ordinary citizens are encouraged to be involved. How exactly, and you mentioned there's taken at random. How will that work exactly? Could I, as a European citizen, request to participate in the discussions? Would I submit ideas? How would that work?
1: You have. We will have different levels. On European level, we will have organizations that have experience on national level or also we have some transnational projects going on with this kind of randomly selected citizens panels and they would select in the 27 member states according to the criteria age gender socioeconomic background um, region uh, also, education levels, um select these citizens, and we expect that we will have, and this is debated at the moment, also in this executive board of the conference, how to do that around four of the citizens panels, four different topics to discuss and come up with proposals. So this would be, the European Citizens' Forum, Mm -hmm. and they would meet a couple of days, really come together physically, uh, discuss and agree on proposals between themselves. But there will be also involvement on local level. So for you in Valencia to start initiatives, uh, we encourage all mayors or all NGOs and stakeholders to participate in this conference. And hopefully when we have the starting signal on the 9th and 10th of May, um, the Commission will launch a digital platform, multilingual, where if you do activities in Valencia, you can put it on this digital platform. You can put also in your results proposals, and you can also engage with other stakeholders that put on this platform their proposals, engage also in a digital way um, in this initiative. And to give you one example, um, we started in Berlin already last year in forming a network. We have, um, we have, a um, a think tank uh, on european affairs that is engaged very much in training teachers at schools in european affairs and they provide the platform for we are parliamentarians european parliamentarians from different parties local parliamentarians from different parties with also ngos european activists youth organizations sport organizations we are already a big network also with the school authority um, with the secretary of state for european affairs for berlin and we already discussed a lot of initiatives that are taking place anyway that we could use for the conference on the future of europe but also what additional events these organizations want to do we started our own internet site where Berliners can find uh, information Uh, and just to get get it going uh, once we have the starting signal and engage everyone. And I was very, very surprised that people are very interested to engage here. Um, And I think that is a good signal. And hopefully we will have what we call thousand flowers in Europe that everywhere we will have initiatives. This would be the ideal situation and the link for this then will be this digital platform.
0: Okay, perfect. It certainly sounds promising, uh, especially since, as you mentioned, people are already getting interested and showing a genuine interest in being involved in the discussion. Now, as you mentioned, the conference will function as a discussion stage. So presumably the decisions made at the conference will not become legally binding decisions. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, the member for the member states in the council, uh, I mean, they were not overly enthusiastic uh, when this idea came up. Yeah. And it took them, I mean, we did our resolution, we were finished with our proposal in January 2020. And it took, the council until June, just to agree within themselves what kind of conference they would like, and then to to negotiate with the two other institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there are a couple of member states and they already expressed themselves in letters and initiatives that wanted to make two things clear. One, that this is not a convention. And if you look at this joint declaration, the three presidents of the institution signed, it is also made very clear here. Mm -hmm. And the second is that a number of member states don't want treaty changes. But it would be, in my view, sorry for my French, but it would be totally stupid if you start a big process. You say it's an open process. We want to involve bottom up. And then you already put in filters and define no-go areas. I don't think this is appropriate. And I'm also convinced it will not work. Once you start such an open process, you you start it and you have to see what is coming. And I think it will be very important that we are very clear what is going to happen with the results. So if you look at what the council wanted, they just wanted a report to the European Council. And I mean we had that two years ago, same process, nothing happened. So um, the other institutions said this is not possible. We will do a joint report at the end, and the institutions have to feel responsible for the results and not just say we do it la pour la and that's it. Um, So, I think this will be crucial in the end, that citizens can trust that if they come up with proposals, there is a follow-up. It doesn't mean that 100% would just say yes, done and dusted, but to discuss them and to see which ones would find support um, are also feasible. and also to get a clear feedback on this process will be very important. So, but I'm, um, you know, I'm, I was engaged in many civil society organizations, and I, I still am. Um, and I see that this conference on the future of Europe has one chance that uh, there is a certain dynamic in the process, and uh, and that uh, that this dynamic. Uh, will make it possible that after this conference on the future for Europe, you could initiate initiate a formal <clears throat> convention.
0: OK, perfect. I, I think you've touched on the key issue, certainly from a citizen's point of view there, which is trust. And the trust in the European institutions is dropping. Hopefully, this is one of the activities that can can boost it back up again. Um. Now, again, as vice chair of the of the working group for this conference, I noticed now again. No, uh,
1: it's I'm, I'm the vice chair of the AFCO committee. AFCO committee. Sorry, my, the information I found online must have been. Yeah, uh, that's the the Committee on Constitutional Affairs. Mm-hmm. This is why we worked a lot with proposals also for policy and treaty changes. Okay, and we have these uh, members of the platform for the conference the political platforms at the moment it's still discussed how many Mm -hmm. how many parliamentarians from the european parliament how many parliamentarians from the national parliaments Um, i hope at least enough so to have a balanced uh, composition and then how many members of the <clears throat> governments and and also um, of the European Commission, and this is the political panel of the conference. So the conference is constituted by the citizens, mm-hmm. fora, and this political panel. And uh, and here, this is still work in progress um, to define how big should this endeavor be. And then the process selecting the members will be really fast because we already plan on the 9th of May mm-hmm. in Strasbourg to have the opening event with the three presidents: President Sassoli, President Um von der Leyen, and also President of, of the Council, um, to open this, to open this conference and also. Hopefully, having an event to interest all citizens uh, to participate here, and to explain what it is, who, um, and what the expected uh, goal and and uh, result should be.
0: So, um, you mentioned there that the <clears throat> once the structure is decided, the number of panelists, etc. It will be quite a quick process to decide which parliamentarians will be selected. Could you give us some insight into how these decisions are made? Because I think sometimes a critique I've heard regarding European institutions is that there's sometimes a lack of transparency regarding the selection of these groups and the people who who make up these these panels. Is it sort of a one representative for each group or how exactly does it work?
1: Yeah, this is very much formalized in the way we we uh, put up such bodies or committees. So once you agreed on a total number, I don't know if it will be I just take a number I would think would be good is 152 members of the European Parliament and then also 152 Um, of the national parliaments, because this would mean from the national parliaments that you have 27 member states, and at least not only the governing party, but also, uh, for example, you could involve the opposition uh, and also where you have two chambers, uh, both um, chambers. Uh, If you would have, say, 152, from the European Parliament, then it would be uh, divided according to the voting results. So every political group would get um, a certain number, regarding to to, to the size also of the political groups. And then you have internal selection procedures. They they are different in all the political groups. But uh, like in our group, um, there was a letter sent around and the national delegations could nominate people and say, um, propose them on certain criteria to participate. You also have certain functions in a political group you want to have represented and also certain competences. Uh, And then we want to have a gender balance. So it's always a bit of a complex procedure, um, but uh, but uh, normally, regarding the political families here, <clears throat> at least in in my group, this is quite um, transparent. Then, okay, um, and we we insisted also in the parliament that we want to have a gender balanced, and we could already see that in the leading bodies, like uh, we now have the um, the executive board that does all these decisions on composition, size, methodology, etc., that this is not gender-balanced at all. Uh, and, and I think you cannot discuss the future of Europe and then uh, you don't have a proper representation of society.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This this kind of leads me into the next couple of topics I'd like to discuss which are the issues that you see as the most important the most pressing and essential in to be discussed at the conference one of those from from our point of view at Arbury Road is definitely gender equality do you see first of all I I I think it's fair to assume this would be discussed at the the conference so how do you see the issue of gender equality at the european level at the parliamentary level is are we still seeing pretty drastic levels of underrepresentation of minor of women as well as minorities
1: yes i mean for me in the center of this conference should be the question of democracy and i think the question of parity democracy is an essential element of democracy and, uh, and, uh, and to have an analysis and also come up in the end with concrete proposals, how to improve it. Mm-hmm. I think gender equality on European level is also very important because it belongs to our core values in article two and uh, as you said we are all working on the trust issue so if you yourself (laughs) preach something uh, where you don't champion or at least try to champion um, that is always a problem but so for me it's democracy it is really this question of a europe that is capable to act in in key political areas and how to make this happen in foreign policy as much also in migration. But also, I think the huge transitions we are facing regarding digitalization and also the climate crisis or the Green Deal, this I think are the important political challenges we are facing for the future, so I think we should also address them within this conference and in my view also as a federalist the question of eu citizenship i think should be put uh, into the focus
0: perfect i'm glad you brought up eu citizenship because this is definitely one topic that we want to see <coughs> excuse me that we want to see discussed at the conference we're an organization where generally we all have an idea of what it means to be european And a lot of us feel that a lot stronger than national identity. So I'm glad to hear that that will be up for discussion. Now, the next topic I wanted to ask you about and to find out if it's on the agenda and if so, where you feel the conversation might go is to do with youth unemployment because I'm aware that you have extensive experience with trade unions. A couple of ideas we had and that we've been discussing and we'd like to know how you think they could impact youth unemployment would be the development of European level trade unions. I know there are organizations, but something more concrete, let's say, and also the issue of the European minimum wage. How do you see? I know I've I've melded a couple of topics together, but let's say how those issues would impact youth unemployment because the youth unemployment rates are outrageous at the moment. Yeah, they're
1: shocking in Spain. Oh, I mean 40% uh in in Greece a bit less but also going in the dir- in the same direction more than 35% um I think this is a weak point in European policy it was already in the last financial crisis I mean the initiative of the youth guarantee was the right one and the parliament pushed very much for this but it is not enough and uh, I can see that this question—it's—it's—it's it's, it's much broader from my point of view. Because when you looked at our first crisis reaction, I think it was very good, and uh, the way we did it that fast to develop this sure program for short-term work credits, so that we wouldn't have mass unemployment in Europe—a very important move, uh, even that it's providing only credits to the member states, but nevertheless to enable them uh, to to start these short-term work schemes was a very important step of solidarity of Europe. But what you can see is that certain groups, like young people, that most of them don't have unlimited work contracts. They have very short-term contracts And they were the first to get kicked out uh, and and could not profit from these kind of schemes. So I think we need to address this question of precarious work in Europe, um, much more fundamental. And we need more and faster resources to battle youth unemployment. Um, I think this will be a key question for the future of Europe, Uh, if Europe delivers here and also delivers fast enough and regarding the minimum wages this is one of the project that is very close to my heart and i battled for years uh, and i'm very happy that we have a proposal um on on the table from the commission really a legal proposal for stopping um these the from stopping that we have poverty wages in so many member states, and that uh, in the end, we have minimum wages and also collective bargaining that makes sure that if you work full time, um, that you are not below the poverty rate um, with your wages. And we only have three countries in Europe at the moment that have minimum wages um, that are adequate. In this, if you look at the 60% median national wage um, here. So there is a lot of work to do, but it's also, we can already see it, there is also a lot opposition to this initiative, and it will be, it will be quite a serious battle um, to, to make sure that in the end, really, we have uh, such a legal proposal and also at the same time linked to a campaign for better collective bargaining um, coverage. Because this proposal from the commission from Nicolas Schmidt has two important legs. The first leg is adequate minimum wages. And the second is to have an analysis on national level um, about the. Collective bargaining coverage. And if in your member state it is below 70%, then the member states have to come up with an action plan how to change it and improve it. That would be the case also in Germany because it is below the 70%. And I think this can be a very important initiative uh, to make sure that. Europe really delivers for the many and not for the few. Uh, And this would be the case because millions of Europeans would have more money in their pockets uh, if we would have um, such a legal um, initiative. And uh, regarding trade unions, I think. I mean, I was many, many years working also in the executive committee of the ETUC, the European Trade Union Confederation, and before that I also worked in different committees, um, the European metalworking um, unions. <clears throat> that um, it is not so well known what is happening on European level uh, regarding um, the joint fight uh, of trade unions and i think without the etuc and other trade unions this proposal on minimum wages would most probably be not on the table of the commission because they lobbied and pushed for years on this <clears throat> but i think trade unions were also more visible especially in the financial crisis when they organized big European demonstrations uh, against austerity policies and I remember because I was one of the organizers, we had at the same day four big demonstrations in Madrid, in Brussels, in Berlin and I think in Prague okay. yep. and, um, and more than a million people on the streets all over Europe um, I think that was quite impressive and, and gave a certain visibility also to trade unions. Um, and i I think it's very important if you look at uh, all the policies we have we have not only the minimum wage proposal on the table um, we also have <clears throat> European directive on European Works Councils, on information and consultation processes, uh, on involvement of workers in case of insolvencies and a lot of issues that are very important, especially in a time of crisis. And um, and this is very important to see um, that the promise of Europe is, is not To have the sexiest common market in the world but to deliver policies that improve the living and working conditions of european citizens and here you need good policies but you also need strong collective actors like trade unions in this process
0: absolutely they're essential to to the process as you say so one major issue we've seen over the last number of years um in the european union is to do with unanimity now namely this is to do with the continuous vetoing from hungary and poland is this i assume this will be a big talking point at the conference how do you anticipate that conversation going
1: i mean go anywhere in the streets in valencia or in berlin or wherever and you ask citizens what would you propose to make European policies more effective again. Um, I think abolish anonymity is one of the first things they say, especially when they see that in in certain, for example, key questions of foreign policy that Europe has no position because one country can block um, this. Mm -hmm. Or when they see what is happening regarding rule of law uh, and other issues Um, and i think uh, i'm quite convinced that this will be a big topic in the conference on the future of europe and that there will be also proposals in certain policy areas to um, to change this and for this you need treaty changes it's not possible otherwise Uh, just to make europe again capable to act and uh, And the question will be, what are key priority areas uh, for this? Uh, and here to to engage in this process, I mean, I have my I, I could name immediately a couple. You can I think free to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean in, in foreign policy, rule of law, um, but also uh, in in certain areas, for example, also in social policy, Uh, I think it would be essential. But I think we should really also listen to citizens Mm -hmm. and see to what questions they point their fingers. And we have already seen in the last weeks and months, we had some new Eurobarometer surveys uh, on issues like this. uh, And I'm sure that we will have interesting debates here with citizens uh, right on this issue.
0: Definitely from from my experience of talking to to citizens about this issue of unanimity and the veto and everything, it seems what people want, or at least the people I've spoken to is social action. Yes, the EU needs to be able to act politically that goes without saying, as opposed to just economically, but things like healthcare, you know, these are the changes that we want to see across Europe and maybe become more more standardized. Is this likely? I mean, the issues with healthcare—we care, we don't have to think, think very hard to see them. They've become so clear in the last 12 to 15 months. I
1: think fighting pandemias, it became so obvious yeah. that we need different competences here um, to, to act fast uh, and to act uh, jointly because you cannot fight a pandemic on national level alone. I think in these areas, yes, with the rest of the health, Systems. I mean, they're very diverse, mm-hmm. so there will be not a movement to harmonize the different health systems, but to agree on standards, for example, um, on uh, access to healthcare for everyone, etc., um, that I'm also sure will be part of the debate in this conference.
0: Perfect. So one last quick one for you. A very different kind of question to do with defence and the the idea of a European army. Is this something that's likely to uh, this conversation likely to come up at the conference? I mean, we've got the constant threat to the east of Eastern Europe, which is Russia. We have a more frayed, less powerful relationship with the U.S. Is this a likely discussion or is this still just a, a fantasy?
1: I mean, you have federalists that have clear positions here. Um, I don't know if this on the priority list of the citizens at the moment uh, is such an issue. No. Um, I rather doubt it. But um, I, I think that um, a debate on, um, Texas, for example, mm-hmm. would be something instead where a lot of people, when you talk to them about European policy and they say, why can't you tax, I mean, this morning I had a shopping, why can't you tax Amazon? We don't understand it. Uh, as a, In a grocery store, they have to pay their taxes. But big providers don't, where citizens have also expectations because they know this cannot be addressed just on national level, but Europe has the strengths and the capacity to do so, for example, on a digital tax. I think these, in my view, uh, are topics where I would expect, we will see in the end, but I would expect that citizens come up with issues like that.
0: Well, I'm I'm actually glad you brought up taxes just very quickly because I wrote an article about the Europeans tax haven blacklist last week, and this is just seems like the height of hypocrisy. They set standards for other countries, they ignore Ireland, they ignore local, uh, they ignore Luxembourg, other neighbours such as Switzerland and Dora.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thing? The tax havens need to change big time. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But here unanimity is one of the critical things, and I think also here I would think uh, this should change.
0: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Gabby Bishop, MEP, thanks a million for joining me. That was a really interesting chat. You've given us some great insight into the conference, and I'm first of all I can't wait to get involved with Arbury Road and the Arbury Foundation. We will definitely be getting involved, and I look forward to seeing seeing the outcomes from the conference.
1: Absolutely, and I seeing your ideas and plans uh, how to activate and involve citizens in this essential debate on the future of Europe. And maybe we'll see in Brussels, Strasbourg, or wherever for an event. There we will also have special youth events regarding the future of Europe because you are the future of Europe.
0: Fantastic! I hope I certainly hope we'll we'll collaborate again in the future. Thanks a million, guys.
1: Okay, thanks a lot, Dermot. See Bye. you, bye-bye. Bye.